Sally Wigan likes him, and so should you. Adam, I think I think having millennials on the radio is awesome. I don't hate you. God. Adam Crowley. My dogs listen to you when I walk out the door. <laughs> on ESPN Pittsburgh. This week has kind of progressed like a series in football. Day one, Monday, was first down. Today is fourth down, and I've punted. So we bring on Tim Benz now. Breakfast with Benz, Trip Live. He joins us on the Crowley Show. Hello, Tim. How are you? I'm going to punt on first down when I'm in doing your show next week. You're in next week? I'm in uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, or so I have been told. Very good. Here's what happens. I don't those, know those anything days, when I'm going. Our mandatory Tom wears his shirt day. It's okay. Tom will have his shirt on. Good. All right. I feel more comfortable that way. He won't though, because it's still summer. He's he's shirtless Tom in the summertime. Do I do a cheese tease, or is that like your thing? I don't want to step on your toes. Well, if you want to do cheese teases, you can. I was gonna be a douchebag and do them from the beach while I was guzzling beer. Oh, that's a good idea. That's yeah. a good idea. I, I prefer that. Yeah, Tim Ben's in today. I'll text you beforehand. You can tell me what you're planning on the show, and then we can retweet him and have that fun stuff going It'll on. It'll basically be anything that I've recycled from breakfast with Ben's. Oh, good. Well, that's see, that's going to work out really well, isn't it? You're, you're just going to bounce off of all your columns because you write 15 of them a morning. Right, that and any interviews that I do for the podcast. Oh, that's not, that's, you know what, you should do all, you should do all five days next week. Why am I not doing all five days? There's a reason. I'm trying to remember what it no, is. No, there is. My buddy's doing uh, Thursday. Well, you're my friend, too. But my uh, friend from West Virginia is doing Thursday and Friday. Get, getting his feet wet, he is. This is just a guy, just some guy from West Virginia. He's never been behind a microphone before. No, he works in uh, he works in radio in Philadelphia. Oh, oh okay. All, all right. right. Yeah, so oh, he, I heard about this guy. What's his name? His name's Wes. Wes, yeah, I think Brian told me about this yeah. guy. So we're not just totally turning the microphone over. This isn't like a contest winner thing or anything like that. No, Chris Muller's not hosting the show on, for, on uh, Thursday <laughs> and Friday next week. Or Stacy Kaufman, whatever her, yeah, I think that's her name. Uh, Tim, Wait, Stacy won a contest? Isn't that, didn't she win the uh, the one that they did at the fan? Like, he won the one at 12.50. I think she won the one right. that they did at the fan. I guess you're right. You're probably right about that. Yeah, uh, I may or may not have tried that. Oh, but, did you did you lose to Mueller? Is that why you're you're bitter about it? No, no, not at twelve fifty. Although I probably would have lost to him at that point. No, I tried. I tried the second time around. I had worked here for like three weeks as as an intern, and I was like, yeah, let me give it a shot. And they weren't feeling it. Yeah, you're a very hardworking intern. I remember that about you. I've never been said. Nothing has ever been said nicer about me, Tim. And um, here you are three years later punting on your own radio show. So there you have it. Yeah, I have made it, baby. Uh, Tim Benz joins us here on the Crowley Show. Uh, Tim, I want to talk about everything. Everything. Everything going on in the world of sports with you right now. And first, we'll start off with Phil Kessel, the Penguins, what they're going to do tomorrow night. Odds that you think that they make a trade tomorrow. They will make a trade of some sort. I don't know what... Uh, what it's going to be yet. That's still very much up for debate. Um, as I've been saying all along, despite how Penguin Nation wants to frame it, I don't particularly want them to trade Phil Kessel. I don't think that they will trade Phil Kessel. I just said that they were going to look into it and they were going to listen to offers. 
and I was reporting what other people who were very informed on the matter were saying, and uh, those same people right now are saying that some dalliances have been made by the Kings and it hasn't been enough, and they couldn't get him to go to Arizona because Arizona doesn't want to go, want to go that much more above the floor. So I think those are two doors that are very much shut in their face already. So I don't know how easy it's going to be to trade him to very many other places. My hunch is at this point he will not be moved. Uh, that's not from a lack of them uh, considering it. I think they did give it due diligence, but uh, more likely the case that they'll try to move, uh, I would say, like a Broussard, Rust, Sheary, something like that to open up some cap space to get a sixth defenseman and maybe a left wing. We can already see where this is going to go if they don't trade Phil Kessel, right? If he's in the lineup when they play against the Capitals on the 4th of October, Penguins fans are going to scream in mass, see, they were never really going to trade Phil Kessel. You guys in the media were just trying to force him out of town, and it never actually happened. They're doing it already, and we haven't even gotten by the draft. They'll be doing it all next week and then throughout the first week of free agency, too. Uh, there will be a victory parade where no victory parade should be needed uh, because no one has really said that. The persnickety, overly defensive Phil fanatics out there uh, love to scream fake news, and they're the ones that actually create it because no one predicted and no one endorsed that I know of a Kessel trade. Uh, all people did was report that one might be under consideration, and based on everything that I've heard from people very much know, uh, the Kings made an offer, and they talked about it with the Coyotes. So uh, there's no victory parade to be had by them unless they mischannel their happiness that their cult hero is still here in town. Tim Benz joining us here uh, on the Crowley Show. Uh, Tim, now flipping to the Pirates. I really liked your take on Neil Huntington. Uh, I had said I'm not going to buy into what this guy's saying. Your take was more along the lines of, if he's saying he's going to add, instead of saying it, just do it. Just add. Add now. Add whenever you are at least in a position where you could contend if you did put pieces around these guys. Yeah, why wait until the trade deadline where you might be five games out and you've given yourself an opportunity to talk yourself out of it? Well, I'll answer my own questions because they want that opportunity to talk themselves out of it. <laughs> right. Uh, they don't want to really add. They just want to create the illusion that they will. That's my belief on this. Otherwise, now would be a perfect time to do it. Um, as you might have seen in that Bob Nightingale story that came out from USA Today, something I'll be writing about tomorrow in Breakfast and Benz, um, I, I talked to a couple guys in the Diamondbacks clubhouse and the Pirates clubhouse too, of course. Uh, you know, this, this side tangent topic, aside from what he brought up about walks and home runs and uh, strikeouts, that's all that happens in baseball anymore. The other thing that he said has been really bad for the game is that there is a mass disparity between the haves and have-nots this year to the extent that we've never seen in baseball history. Uh, two things we're never gonna, we have never seen before in baseball history might occur this year. More strikeouts than base hits, and the other is, I think it was four teams above 100 wins and five teams below, I think was the number yeah. you said. Um, that's what we're pacing for right now. So take advantage of it. Um, get in early before the real halves try to better themselves against one another and maybe scoop up a guy or two like you know, what the Nationals did, going out and getting a closer. Uh, I think that's the way the Pirates should be thinking if they were actually sincere about this. But uh, I think that was just blowing smoke to do some damage control during a tenuous moment when it came to the uh, fans' relationship with the team. Let's stick with the Nightingale thing for a moment here, Tim. Uh, my yeah, I thought those numbers were fascinating. They really were, and... 
I keep hearing everyone say they want to fix baseball and should the National League add the DH and should they put a pitch clock in and should they lower the mound and this and that and the other. And the conversation I've been having is, I don't know if you can fix baseball. I don't know if you can take boredom out of baseball, at least for my generation and the generation that's now behind my generation. Things move too slow in the game. And even if you speed them up, the game is inherently slow. Uh, The analogy I drew is you can try to... uh, adjudicate the violence out of football, but football is still inherently violent. I think baseball is just inherently boring. I think a lot of that is true. Uh, everything you said is true. I guess I'll add something else to it. And, you know, cause there are millennials in Europe too, in South America and Central America, and they love soccer and not much happens in soccer. Um, at least the ball goes in motion and the players are right. in motion. I actually think the bigger deal with baseball beyond the lack of action during the game, which I think Clint Hurdle said today was like 18 minutes total or something like that, of, of total combined action in a game where things are taking place. Um, the, the bigger problem besides that is the games just don't feel meaningful. Um, I, I think the biggest reason why you're seeing dips in ratings for sports on television and dips in attendance, aside from A, cost, and B, the cord-cutting element, which are two things that are out of any sports control, is that people just aren't drawn to something unless it's absolutely important. Um, you know, there are other things to do. You know, back when I was a kid, I could watch the Mets play the Cubs, even though I wasn't a Mets or Cubs fan, because there wasn't much else on. It didn't feel like anything all that much more important was taking place because I didn't have a phone that told me what I was supposed to be doing with my life 24 hours a day. <laughs> Um, and I think that, you know, this is 100, 162 baseball games is way too many. Yeah, it is. You know, people, people laughed when I said that it should be cut down to 140. I still think I'm leaving it too high. Uh, you know, the National Football League is 16 very important games, and people really don't care that much until it looks like November anymore. You know, if you look at the ratings anyway. So aside from college football, which every game really matters for the top teams, and then for the other ones, they get bounced early in the season. I think that's a big problem. There's just not an inherent sense of importance on the line for every game, at least in the eyes of the fans. Yeah, that's a really good point, Tim. Uh, when West Virginia lost to Virginia Tech in game one last year, I was like, well, crap, there it is. I, <laughs> no playoff, not that it was the expectation, but, well, that's gone. And then they lose their second conference game, and, well, not winning the conference either. And Everything does feel important, and college football ratings are doing very well, despite the fact that the games are very long. Uh, The NFL ratings have gone down, sure, but it's still incredibly popular because the games just mean that much more. Uh, In hockey, I thought the best season that I can remember recently in terms of the regular season quality of play, Tim, is when they had the 48-game lockout-shortened season. I loved that. Yeah, it was, it, the games did feel more important. You felt like it was built up because there was so much time without it. Uh, I really enjoyed this hockey postseason. This might be the most hockey I've watched in a postseason when the Penguins were not a part of it for very long uh, ever, to be honest with you. So, but each of those games felt important. Yeah. Too. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's where we are right now as a society. It's like, you do not get my time. You do not get my interest unless there's stakes on the line. And I think in a lot of these sports, uh, 82 is too many in hockey. 82 is way too many in the NBA. Uh, I think football is definitely going to run into that problem if they go to 18. Uh, I think they're best served being at 16 and no more. In fact, maybe that's a little too many. And I'm telling you, base- baseball does not need to be played 
before May 1st, and baseball does not need to be played after October 15th. Yeah, uh, I'll agree with all that. Tim Men joins us here on the Crowley Show. One of the things I've suggested is just trying to keep more markets involved, and they try to do that with the wild card, uh, although I don't love the way that they've done it. Uh, I'd be interested to see what playoff ratings in baseball are going to be like this year. Uh, if attendance is down, it's not going to be down in the playoffs, but uh, how many people are still watching those games because they do have the importance, or is it just baseball's problem is baseball? I think the ratings will be artificially inflated because you're going to see a lot of big markets and a lot of traditional yeah, that's true. markets. I think the Red Sox-Yankee series, when it happens, and it will happen, is going to provide a big pop. Um, you know, if the Cubs get in, if the Astros, I think, are an interesting team, that's a big market in Houston. Um, let's see which big market team gets in from the NL East. Um, you know, I, I think a lot, a lot of what you're going to see is going to be dictated by the market size of the clubs that get in and maybe artificially inflated by the amount of eyeballs in the sets from those towns. But, yeah, I don't know how much interest there will be outside of the individual cities that have playoff games. The national ratings, I bet, aren't great. Uh, although, you know, uh, all I want to see is Yankees, Red Sox. Yeah, I feel like the whole team is the point of that series anyway, so why not? Uh, Tim, uh, we debated this at length on air yesterday. Uh, do you think Phil Mickelson deserved to get uh, shot in the head? Uh, do you think that they should have tied each of his limbs to horses and made them run different directions? Do you think it should have been the electric chair? How do you think Phil Mickelson should have been executed for that horrific display on Saturday? Well, I, based on my column today that I wrote for Breakfast with Benz, I don't think I want to get the horses involved because Peter might get really angry since it's, <laughs> it was not a rolling ball that he touched. He drowned a basket of puppies based on the reaction. Um, you know, there was quite the finger-wagging column written at him from Sports Illustrated. There's the guy, John Hopkins, from uh, whatever, Gulf Britain, whatever, and he called him an ass on Fox, and, you know, they had the galled reaction of Joe Buck and Curtis Strange. I mean, my God, it got to the point, I can't remember which commentator said it on Fox, that uh, what, what about the children? What about the children that have looked up to Phil? Oh, oh my God. You know, like, it, it, it was one of those things where I, I didn't really like what he did. I actually, you know what I dislike more is him pretending that he knew the rules. Yes, yes, like, I, I without a doubt. I actually was more put off by the fact that he, if he did it, and he knew the rule, I would have loved it. Because there's nothing I hate more than golf rules getting in the way of golf. And I don't even like golf. But the very fact that for decades people could call in after watching on TV, after surfing through the rule book, and get over on a golfer, I would have loved to see a golfer get over on the rule book. I would have loved that. Um, you know, I think what we're realizing now is he didn't know the rule and he was just BSing. But even still... I. The reaction to what Phil did was far greater than what Phil did, so I, I don't think you needed to apologize. I, that would have girded me if I was Phil, just to see the hyperbolic reaction would have been more angry. So firing squad? <laughs> yeah, yeah, firing squad, but I want to see Tiger be with the guy that pulls the trigger. The way he's scattering things all over the place, Phil would probably live. <laughs> I thought you were going to go in a sexual uh, in a sexual direction there with Tiger Woods firing stuff all over the place, but uh, I see you're still on golf. Uh, Tim, appreciate the time. Have fun hey, filling in. I ask you guys one. Can I ask yeah. you guys one before I go? Uh, I need Tom, and if Brian's in there, I need some input on no, this. Brian, Brian there or no? No, nah, Brian's gone. Okay, all right. Um, so I had a little faux pas yesterday. Uh, I went out on the north side to grab a bite to eat, and... I signed the card, the credit card, 
and I accidentally took the slip with the tip on it oh, no. in my pocket. So I left behind the blank one. Oh, Actually, no. I, I, it went through, and I checked. I noticed it. I only noticed it because I saw the signed receipt, and I double-checked. So what I did was I went back to the place and basically gave the same amount in a tip. It was like a, it was like a $13 bill, and I think I left like 10 bucks. So I'm, I'm tipping almost 100%. Nice. Is, is, that pro- is, that a, is that proper protocol to tip like 90% in that situation? Does that make up for it? Do I need to do more? What should I have done in that case? I like that move. Uh, I like them being afraid that you were a jackass and they're not getting tipped at all, and then to only find out that you are more than decent, you are the great Tim Benz. I like that move. That was a nice move. Yeah, I love it, too. Honestly, just going back and giving the tip in general would have been more than enough, but to make it 100%, Mm -hmm. that's just above and beyond. It was like a a $13 bill, and I I realized right before I went, and I was going over to get interviews today at the ballpark, so I just had like 10 bucks in my wallet. So I said, can you just give this to the guy who worked last night? So I don't know. Is is that that appropriate? Do I need to do more? Do I need to shame myself on Twitter? Because, I mean, everything in the world comes down to shaming on Twitter. So do I need to shame myself on Twitter in some way? Well, I'd give it some time to make sure that he didn't write in his own tip. Like, I'd, I'd watch that credit card bill uh, fairly closely over no, the next couple it. weeks. I checked it. I checked okay. my bank account. It posted. Okay, good. All right. Well, then, in that case, I think you did the right thing. I think, in fact, he would have rather you not have left $5 yesterday so that you could leave 10 today. So that's what I need to do from now on is never tip anybody, then regret regretfully double tip the next day? You know what, Tim? I am an over-tipper all the time. I over-tip every place that I go, even if the service is ass. I don't know why. I always I feel rude if I don't over-tip. I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I'm at least a 20 to 25% yeah. guy in a lot of cases. Yeah. Plus, I have a lot of friends in the service industry, and when I go out with them, they tip like 33%, and I get the evil eye if I don't. So. Yeah. That's why I always tip on the card and not in cash, because I don't want people seeing what I'm tipping. <laughs> well, that, remember that episode of Friends where Ross was, you know, he, Rachel's dad hated Ross because he double-checked his tip and tried to leave more money? The like, 99 is sewage! Yeah, I love that episode. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. That, that might, was, that, was that Jennifer Aniston at the height of her powers? Oh, my we've God. we've had this conversation before, have we not? The height of the powers, for and we're taking this segment way over, but I don't care because I'm mailing it in, baby. The height of her powers is when she's going to Ross's stupid-ass event, and she's wearing this green dress with a slit down the leg. Holy hell. Boy, I don't remember that one specifically. The one that was just on yesterday that I caught. And by the way, Friends is on 24-7 now. Did you know that? You can catch Friends at any point between Nickelodeon, TNT, and then there's another, like, uh, I don't know, which Comedy Central maybe, or somebody else runs Friends. It's on nonstop. So you can actually see the stages of Jennifer Aniston like it's a flip book if you wanted to. But... My favorite is, like, I think she looks the best when she finds out that she's not divorced from Ross. That's when she looks at her best, in my opinion. And that's around, what's it, like season four or five or six? Like when, when they got married in Vegas and he hid the yes. fact that he didn't divorce her. I, I've come to the conclusion that's Jennifer Aniston at the height of her powers. Was Courtney Cox at the height of her powers hotter than Jennifer Aniston? No. no. Okay. I, I don't know if Christy Brinkley at the height of her powers is hotter than <laughs> Jennifer Aniston. Tim, goodbye. Thank you for your time. Have fun next week. I will do my best. And, uh, yeah, I like the cheese teas idea from the beach. Do that. I'm doing it, baby. I'll text yeah, you to find out, the, uh, I'll find out the topics. Well, I'll just read Breakfast with Ben's. How about that? There you go.
good idea. See you, pal. Bye. That's Tim Benz. In the longest segment we've ever done on the Crowley Show. 19 and a half minutes. Coming up next, <laughs> more guests. Phil Steele from ESPN and PhilSteele.com. Talking college football. Because it's time to on the Crowley Show. Coming up next, it's the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. That was the longest segment in Crowley Show history. And we're stacking it with Phil Steele from PhilSteele.com. You can check out his Phil Steele college football publication. I'll be reading it a bunch at the beach. Phil, thank you so much for taking the time today. Hey, a real pleasure. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the University of Pittsburgh. I do want to touch on West Virginia and Penn State with you uh, as well, but I don't think so far that we've seen Pat Narduzzi quite live up to the expectations. Uh, he had a good year a couple of years ago. Uh, they defeated Clemson last year. They beat Miami. So there have absolutely been moments. How far away do you think this team is from being a legitimate division contender? Um, I don't know if they're going to quite get there this year, but uh, I see the improvement coming for uh, Pitt. And I think once once they get to the uh, Narduzzi, having his entire personnel on the defensive side of the ball, including those shutdown cornerbacks, then I think we're going to see the offense maybe uh, get some decent quarterback play. Things could change. And, and this year I do see an improved Pitt team. I mean, they're a team that had been to a lot of bowl games, just came painfully close last year at 5-7. and seven. Uh, when I talked to Coach Narduzzi this year, he likes what he's got a quarterback in Kenny Pickett, says he could be the best they've had there in quite some time. Uh, you look at the running backs with Hall, Davis, and Allison, they're all solid. Uh, the receiving core uh, is decent, not overwhelming. The offensive line looks good, and defensively the front seven looks good. My number 43 rated defensive line, number 25 set of linebackers. Now, uh, Pitt, when you look at them uh, coming into the season, they've got a fairly tough schedule. Number 20 in the country, you know, talking taking on teams like Penn State in the non-conference slate, Notre Dame in the non-conference slate as well. But I think this team's got a chance to get back to a bowl game. I don't know if they're a, a true contender in the Coastal this year, though. You did not mention the fact that they're playing defending champion UCF as well in the non-conference schedule, Phil. <laughs> Forgot. That sort of slipped my mind. And, uh, yeah, and UCF had a great record last year. Uh, and, actually, Pitt will probably be a slight underdog in that game. UCF has got a lot of talent coming back this year. Uh, Phil Steele joining us here on the Crowley Show. So when you look at the ACC Coastal pecking order, uh, where do you have Pitt in terms of that this year? Uh, actually, I have them sixth, uh, which is pretty low considering where I thought they would be when I, after I finished talking to Coach Narduzzi. But it's a loaded division here in the Coastal. Uh, you know, Georgia Tech always rebounds big when Paul Johnson uh, is there, and they're coming off a losing season. Virginia Tech, you always have to count near the top. I think Duke's got one of the best defenses in the country. I read it number 18. Wow. And North Carolina is a team that, uh, you know, in 15 and 16, they were 13 and 4 in ACC play. Everybody forgets about that. Everybody's picking them sixth in the, the division right now. But I think when you look at North Carolina, they don't have to face Clemson, Florida State, Louisville, or BC. They've got four, uh, 13 returning starters coming back. I think they're going to be a much improved team. And they've always been tough on Pitt since they've joined the ACC. Phil Steele joining us here on the Crowley Show. Now, how about Pitt's second opponent of the season, Penn State? I think Pitt fans would consider the season a success no matter what happens if they're just able to beat Penn State. Uh, what kind of chances do you give them in that contest? Uh, you know, I, I rank it pretty pretty decent chance. I've got uh, right now in Vegas, Penn State's a 14-point favorite, but I only have about a 6-point favorite wow. in the game. 
you know, when you look at Penn State, they lost a lot on the defensive side of the ball. They only have three returning starters on that side. They're still very talented. In fact, you know, going through the team every year with Coach Franklin, I'll take you back to the first year, which was five years ago. They went about one deep. Very, had very little guys in the second deep or third deep. Now they go three, four deep in almost every single position. They've got Trace McSorley back, and yes, they're going to miss Saquon Barkley, but I think Miles Sanders does well there. The receiving core is solid with Tompkins and Johnson. The offensive line, I rate 15th best in the country. The defensive line, I still rate 8th best in the country despite the losses. And the special teams are good as well. They're one of nine teams that rank in my top units in all eight position categories. And they're a legitimate national title contender as well. I have number 12 in my power poll. But when you look at their schedule, uh, they, you know, they get Ohio State at home, which is huge. And they're, they only have one road game against a team that had a winning record last year. That's Michigan, a team they beat 42 to 13. I think if everything came together well for Penn State, especially defensively, they could be extremely tough. But, uh, I look I look at this as a rivalry game. I look at the fact that the last time Penn State traveled to Pitt, they ended up losing. Last year's game was probably closer than the final score. Sure. And that's why I don't have them an overwhelming favorite on the road. I think that's going to be a great game. Phil, uh, just looking at Penn State's schedule, as you alluded to, uh, Wisconsin's on there. Uh, they'll play Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State. How do you see those teams tiered? I, I see a lot of people have Wisconsin and their returning offensive line as a, a legit favorite this year. Yeah, I've got Wisconsin's offensive line rated number one in the country, and they've got some guy at running back, Jonathan Taylor, who uh, really burst on the scene last year. They've got a veteran junior quarterback in Alex Hornerbrook. Uh, they have my number three or number two linebacking core in the country, number 14 set of DBs. They're loaded. The only thing I don't like about Wisconsin this year is their schedule gets a lot tougher. You look at last year, they had one of those schedules where their road games were against Illinois, Indiana, Minnesota, and Nebraska. Well, this year their road games are against Iowa in Kinnick. Stadium, Michigan, Northwestern, and Penn State. So it's a lot tougher road schedule for the Badgers this year. But I do think that there's still a legitimate title contender along with the four teams in the East. And the Big Ten East is the best division in all of college football. We're talking Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and Michigan State all in the same division. And I think all four of those teams are legitimate top ten and legitimate uh, title contenders. I want to flip to West Virginia now. Uh, I am a big West Virginia guy. Uh, went there. took me five years to graduate, but I think that's one of the reasons why I love them as much as I do. Are they a legit Big 12 contender this year? I think they are. The Big 12 is wide open. I would go uh, six deep in my Big 12 title contenders, and you have to put West Virginia up there. And they've got the, you know, they're the sexy team because they've got Will Greer back at quarterback. And, you know, I think they probably would have won a couple more games than seven last year had Greer not got injured at the end of the season. If they can keep him healthy, they're in great shape. They've got two outstanding receivers in Gary Jenkins and David Sills. Jennings, I should say, and Sills. Uh, both basically 1,000-yard receivers last year. The offensive line looks solid. And when it, Tony Gibson, their defensive coordinator, finally has a veteran defense. I mean, he's had three returning starters and three returning starters the last two years. Now, this year he steps it up. He's got five returning starters. A lot more of the top tacklers are back. I think they're going to be a much improved on the defensive side of the ball. Now, their schedule's not easy. I've read it the 12th toughest in the country. Talking about road games against NC State. Uh, Lubbock and Texas Tech is never easy. Iowa State and Ames is not easy. Texas, Oklahoma State. And then, of course, home games against Oklahoma and TCU. But to me, the Big 12 is wide open. Oklahoma lost a lot with Mayfield. Lost some of the, uh, the defensive side. Uh, 
side of the ball as well. TCU's very inexperienced on the deep or on the offensive side, and uh, you know Texas is. You know, we're still waiting for them to make that step up. So any of those six teams can win it. Phil Steele joining us here on the Crowley Show. You can check it out, philsteele.com. Get the magazine. Uh, I do every single year, and I read it at the beach, and I'm going to the beach next week, and I'll be reading it uh, there. Uh, Phil, I I did want to ask a question, not specifically about West Virginia, but I can use them as the jumping-off point. They've really had a lot of success with grad transfers and transfers overall. they got a couple coming from the defensive line, uh, one guy from USC and uh, another guy from Clemson. Do they? It seems to me that they do that maybe more than a lot of other teams, and I think geographically them being on the East Coast and having to play in the Big 12 probably factors in, but what are some other teams that do a lot of that? Well, we're starting to see more and more of it in college football, and uh, it's one of the main reasons that, uh, you know, my magazine goes to the press a lot later than everybody else. You know, I look at Joe Burrow going from Ohio State to LSU. Uh, we go out at the end of May after the coaches have had their exit interviews with the players. Uh, you know, some players don't like what they hear in the exit interviews. They have to transfer with the grad transfer rule. Uh, they get signed up in another place pretty quickly. But I've seen it more and more prevalent. In fact, a lot of times, well, you know, this year I talked to over 100 head coaches during the uh, spring, uh, and we spent about an hour with each head coach going over every single player on the team. And sometimes I'll be like, Coach, you're a little thin at this position. And they'll be like, yeah, we're looking to bring a graduate transfer in here. So there's still going to be more signed, and I think it's just a uh, – it's not only a trend right now. I think it's a, a way where a lot of teams are looking to fill their needs. It's much easier with a graduate transfer than it is with a JUCO because generally JUCOs, they take about a year to get up to speed with at the FBS level, and then the second year they have the big-time year. Right. But a graduate transfer has been playing at the FBS level. Uh, Phil, when do you have any downtime? I mean, how much how much time do you put in uh, to the magazine? Obviously, it seems like a lot. And in terms of your favorite coaches, who are the guys that you like to talk to the most? Who are the most forthcoming and candid? Uh, I think the majority of them are, which I really like, because they know if they say something to me, it's, uh, you know, that's where it ends right there. But, uh, probably favorite coaches, I would say, out of the SEC, uh, Jimbo Fishers, uh, one of my favorites to talk to each and every year out of the, uh, Big Ten. Uh, I'll go with, uh, James Franklin. You know, and I, I hate to single out favorites here because there's so many good, good, sure. good coaches. Uh, you know, out of the Pac-12, um, let's go with, uh, let's go with Clay, Clay Helton, the USC, or no, no, David Shaw of Stanford. Uh, I say David Shaw because I could talk to him about NFL stuff as well. And he'll, he'll, uh, I'll, I'll talk to him about what the Cleveland Browns draft, for example, and he, he, he gives me the time and I really appreciate that. Uh, the big, the big 12, a lot of good coaches there. I'd have to go with Gary Patterson from TCU. So there's, you know, there's so many, uh, good head coaches out there. I enjoy each and every one of the conversations and, uh, we start the magazine stuff at the Sunday after Thanksgiving because some team season is complete. We've got about 15 people working here on the magazine and then we put six full months into it. A lot, a lot of long hours during that time. So right now, this is like my downtime of year. I'm working 50, 60 hours a week just doing radio shows. It's almost like being on vacation. <laughs> Last couple of things here uh, for Phil Steele. Uh, Phil, when you're putting together the magazine this year, are there four teams that stand out to you that you think, okay, they are clearly the playoff contenders, or do you have a group of 8, 9, 10 that you would consider? 
Yeah, I'd say a group of eight, nine, ten. There's two teams that I would definitely plop in there. Uh, that would be, and really going out on a limb here, Alabama. And, uh, you know, generally when you look at Alabama, they're always 117, 102nd in my experience level. This year they're number 50 on my experience. Oh, chart. No. So that's, uh, yeah, they're, they're actually, because they lose so many guys to the NFL, they never have that experience. Now they've got it this year. And when you look at their schedule, they're going to be a double digit favorite in every single game. So I got a little, the pen out and I put Alabama into the playoffs this year. And then the other one was, uh, we're, we'll, let's go to the ACC. And I'll, I'll tell you, after the season ended, I said, well, Clemson is going to really have to rebuild that defensive line because they got four guys that are going to leave early for the NFL. Guess what? One by one, they all decided to return. Uh, Farrell, Lawrence, Wilkins, Bryant. That's the best defensive line in college football perhaps the best defense in college football, and they have a top-ten offense. And Clemson, despite having to play Florida State, Georgia Tech, and a Boston College on the road, I think they'll be favored in every game this year. And uh, those are the two teams that I pretty much feel really, really good about making the playoffs this year. Phil, really appreciate the time. Uh, Love the magazine, love all the stuff that you do, and uh, love the fact that you're willing to uh, go on radio here and throughout the country. Appreciate the time. Hey, Adam, always enjoy talking football with you. A lot of fun today. Thank you. Be good. Thanks. Phil Steele, ESPN.com. Be good, man. I'll tell you. I want you to be good. An hour and 19 minutes until I'm home free for 12 days. Wedding, beach, love, booze. Not exactly in that order. Coming up next, the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined with some audio from Baker Mayfield that might actually make you like a brown. It's a Crowley show. Come into Lowe's for savings to help you get out and enjoy the sights, sounds, and flavors of summer. Add sizzle to your backyard with a Charbroil 5-Burner Gas Grill, made to last and now only $1.99. Restock your edible garden with 2.32-ounce Bonnie Veggies and Herbs, now three for $12.00. All projects have a starting point. Start with Lowe's. Offers valid through 627. Bonnie offer excludes Hawaii. See store for details. Just got followed by a guy on Twitter named Freeman Burgess, and I would be willing to bet that that is not an Antonio Brown burner account. Because he's Freeman? Mm Mm-hmm. Also got followed by a guy named Jeff Scabalabalaba. I can either do a segment about the Penguins' schedule or I could do the unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. Football. Football? Let's fire it up then! And now it's time for the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. The Browns are making the playoffs. You don't believe me? Baker Mayfield, the bearded Baker Mayfield, was on with Colin Cowherd today, and he gave him the business. Saw this, I'm like, oh, Baker. You play in Ohio State, I watched every snap, you were, you know, gloriously talented guy, right? And then I see this play right here, Now watch this, Baker, and you throw a touchdown, and instead of, I don't like this, I'm going to tell you right now, how come you're not, what? Where are you going? 
Where are you going over there? Our band is over there, our student section's right there, and then straight back to our sideline. What about your team? Did you watch the rest of the game? I watched the whole game. You did? So you saw me celebrate with my teammates the three touchdowns before that, too? I don't like that. Don't oh, okay. Yeah. You pulled the one clip of me running right there to our fans and people that traveled well to that game, first of all. And then you didn't show the rest of the clip of me going to our sideline? No, no, no. You go, well, you no, have to go to the sideline. You You're not going to go to you a didn't. hospital. Well, where are you going to go after the touchdown? You're not going to go... Well, you're acting like I just ran away from everybody. Well, you did, but then you came back and circled to the sideline. This is a, what is it, a five-second clip of you showing me, and then I'm off the screen right there? I'd like you to be with your teammates. Uh, watch the rest of the game, I was. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know you went back to the sideline. No, no, no. I'm, go Watch the other touchdowns. I got very excited on that one. So you think my accusation that this doesn't... This isn't the fact that I feel like you're going for the fact that I'm not a team guy. I'm selfish. Is that what you're shooting at right here? Or what? Um, it is a... No, I don't think that. I think you... I think sometimes your judgment's just a tad off. And I think the NFL's a judgment league because the, the game is so fast. Mm -hmm. You have to make... The windows get really, really tight and really, really small. You got to make decisions really, really fast. In college, you got that Orlando Brown guy. Got a little yeah. more time. I don't love that decision. I don't love it. The celebration? Do you I, see what people do in the league now? Celebration-wise? Hip thrusting, not a fan. <laughs> not a big fan of hip thrusting. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't like when Antonio Brown's doing that stuff. I'm not into it. You know what? Well, have you, do you have your celebration? Uh, and no, I, I have nothing. I have nothing. You're just going to give the ball to I, Apparently, I think I need to just run away. <laughs> oh! Suck on that, cowherd! Take it right there in the chops! I mean, what a stupid take that is anyhow. I think Cowherd does a really good job, and his show's very popular because a lot of people think he does a really good job but it is stuff like that that makes me want to punch people in this profession in the mouth baker mayfield runs to the sideline to celebrate with the fans after one touchdown and all of a sudden he's the world's worst dude like if you want to be mad about him grabbing his crotch i thought it was funny but you can be that's fine you don't see that a lot in sports these days baker drops back throws a touchdown and now he's holding himself yes you don't see that all the time so if you want to get mad about that you can get mad about that fine don't get mad about a guy running to the sideline. I do realize Tyrod Taylor is going to be the guy there this year, but how long will that last? I think Cleveland's got a really good chance of upsetting the Steelers week one. Almost did it last year, three-point game. Antonio Brown had to sky over three defenders in order to win that one. Steelers didn't put anything together on the offensive side, and the Browns are very good at stopping the run. I think it's dangerous. I'm worried. I'm scared. Whether it's Tyrod or Baker, that is a matchup that I think will give the Pittsburgh Steelers problems to start the 2018 season. You see this one. Martavis Bryant did not fail or miss a drug test. I'm happy to hear that. I don't like how many, again, in this industry will crucify a player for making a mistake when the reality is no person in the world is more upset for the mistakes he's made than Martavis Bryant. Martavis Bryant failed drug tests, has been suspended for a full year in the National Football League, and saved his family from years of not having to work. He feels bad about what has happened. He knows he's made mistakes. Now, I think the mistakes that he's made make the NFL look just as stupid as he does. They're draconian policies. It's Mayor freaking Juana. Martavis Bryant, to me, is no different than a professional wrestler. I don't need Martavis Bryant to be sober. He can smoke weed and run between the 10 and 15-yard line. I don't need that guy to be clean. 
But I'm happy that now he's going to get a chance to play this year, and I hope he never relapses. I hope he doesn't have any problems with the rest of his career, because I do think Martavis is a good guy. I do. I don't think he's a bad person. I think he smokes weed. And to me, that does not make you a bad person. If it did, then lock all my friends up with me. Coming up next, something that the Penguins schedule did not have last year that it does this year, and where are they opening up on the road? That's not much of a tease. Who cares? You can find that on the internet. But I'll tell you about the Penguins schedule, and I got some Phil Kessel hot takes when we come back. It's the Crowley Show.